Scoreline Extra. A bit of a weird one this weekend with a Kilkenny game being called off due to coronavirus outbreak in the Wexford GAA camp. However, we did manage two games. We had the Kilkenny Intermediates going up against Leash in the Camogie and we had Carlo playing in the Hurling against Offaly. So action-packed weekend here at KCLR. But there was still some time for some interviews as well. It was the last day of the Premier League, so it was a bit bedlam after four o'clock here on Sunday. Still managed to get a lot of soccer talk in. Still managed to get a lot of soccer talk in though. John Corrigan from the Kilkenny District League joined us in regards to the draw for the McCallman Cup and just giving us some information on what way the cup competitions are going to be running this year. Sticking with soccer, Stan Brennan from foot golf. I suppose you can call that soccer in a way. Fresh after winning the Dublin Open. Harry Hewing on the PGA Championship. Kilkenny Intermediate Manager John Scott joined us as well for some post-match audio with Martin Quilty. And then we have Kevin Hennessy, of course, talking about Greyhounds. Also, a bit of a retro deal going on as well as we look back on some of the old interviews that we may have conducted here at KCLR Scoreline. With this one, the author of Champagne Football, The Rise and Fall of John Delaney, Mark Thai. So that seems like an appropriate place to start. Mark Thai from Champagne Football. Delighted, Shane. Thanks. Uh, first of all, congratulations on the book, uh, the most sold published book in Ireland in 2020. A staggering amount of copies sold, uh, winning sports book of the year in 2020. So, uh, massive congratulations. Yeah, it's, it's, the reaction has just been phenomenal. I suppose, you know, a lot of Irish football fans and even people you know, who, who didn't have an interest in, in Irish football, you know, they would have known a bit about John Delaney and, you know, he would be such a celebrity figure. And um, they're really interested in finding out, you know, how, how about his rise to power and also, about, I suppose, his downfall and what role the journalism we, we did in the Sunday Times pl- played a role in that and kind of, you know, the, the exposés we did on the financial goings-on in the FAI under his under his reign, you know. So it just proves to be really phenomenal success in terms of sales. Like our, our publishers, Penguin, even are uh, astounded, you know, what we sold 50,000 copies last year. Um, it, it bounced back up, you know, before Christmas. I think it was a... Uh, you know, people who are buying presents for their dads or uncles or, or anyone with an interest in kind of football <laughs> or corporate governance or saying, you know, rather than a pair of socks, I'll buy them champagne football. So I got, I, I, I'll tell you now, I got it as a present myself. Very <laughs> <laughs> good. Um, it, it is, from a football perspective, it, it is so... I don't know, the, the kind of salacious details of what's going on behind the scenes and stuff. It's so interesting, but it's ca- seemed to have captured the imagination of people that have no following in football because of the character of John Delaney and because of the way it's written. Yourself, co-author Paul Rowan, like, how did the process begin? Is there something that, you mentioned reporting in, in the Sunday Times, but is there something that, you know, when, when, does, when does the thought process come about for the inception of the book? Yeah, well, it was about... Um like the way the story took off for us back in March 2019, um, you know, I got a tip off, um, landed on my desk, literally like a, a, someone posted me in a copy of a check, you know, of a hundred thousand euro going into the FBI, and that started, you know. But before that, I suppose myself and Paul had been investigating the, both John Delaney and his finances and the FAI's finances for a number of years, and you know, we had a very hostile relationship with the FAI. We were, you know, critical of them, and we were asking a lot of questions, casting doubt on their finances and. The fact that, you know, Delaney was saying all oh, was in good shape, they'd be debt-free by 2020. But then after that tip-off, kind of floodgates opened, like Delaney tried to injunct us. It was, you know, high drama stuff, rushing down to the forecourt on St. Patrick's Eve in March 2019. And thankfully, the, the court went in our favour. And then after that, the, the, 
the dam didn't quite burst, but you know, there, there were leaks left, right, and centre. People contacted me, whistleblowers, people who were very fearful of John Delaney um, for a number of years. Said, look, you have to, you have to investigate this and that. Stuff like payments from the FAI to John Delaney's ex-girlfriend Susan Keegan, the use of his FAI credit card. Um, Mass stuff came out, you know, about payments over the John Giles Foundation for an idea. Stuff that had been hidden for for years, and so and it, it came to the stage like John Delaney eventually had to resign, or sorry, went he suspended initially um, following a rockless hearing. So there was huge profile over all of this, and um, then we, we we were leaked FAI board minister in the summer of 2019, South and Paul. And I remember we were locked in a room, the two of us pouring over hundreds of pages, and you know we were doing up like a five thousand word read, like on the inside. <laughs> story and I just said to Paul look, we, there's a book in this Paul you have to, <laughs> to really to, to put, put all this together like you know like we're doing it here kind of trying to squeeze it into um, two, two, two broadsheet pages in the, sun, in the Sunday Times which was you know good read and but you know to do it justice you know and whole story it was then I suppose that I thought you know my, we were thinking like there's definitely a book and I w- I'd be a big fan of kind of um, journalistic um, you know non-fiction books like you know from all the president's men or yeah. um, you know Catch and Kill the Ronan Farrow book you know on Weinstein and uh, uh, tr- uh, what was it Bad Blood it's a great book about you know um, a company over in uh, in um, Silicon Valley Theranos you know he tells a story about how how this woman you know defrauded investors and I thought like Jesus we could do a, a similar kind of job on the FEI because it's a similar kind of, kind of story because John Delaney is such a larger in life character it, it, you mentioned it yourself that the uh, going John Delaney seeking an injunction against yourselves um, is that something like he has a history of doing stuff like that to media outlets um, blocking any news that might not be in his best interest he's probably quieting down now since his departure from the FAI but is that something that was consciously on your mind the whole time yeah definitely like we, we knew like from writing stories on the FAI and Delaney you know, that Delaney was quick to make legal threats um We'd be on the receiving end, but I thought it was it was rare enough that he'd go into court. You know, usually the legal letters would go in. Like looking back, the Sunday Independent back as early as I think it was 2006, 2007, they did a small little kind of a, a funny article, like just a little two paragraph thing in their sports section saying that you know an FAI publication had I don't know eight or nine photographs of Delaney, and it was only six pages long. And uh, they said this is something like uh, propaganda from North Korea or Ceausescu in Romania. And, you know, it was just a bit of a joke, you know, at his expense, um, you know, bring him as the dear leader. And, like, it was, it was it hit, a, hit a nerve. And next thing they get a legal letter in and they have to do a groveling apology. Well, they didn't have to, but they decided, you know, the best way to deal with this rather than go to court is to apologize. And uh, that, that was something that, you know, he was very sensitive. Um, so when, when we were investigating that check, um, I think he kept, he started sending us legal letters and he, maybe he thought we'd, we'd stop, you know, because he was threatening us with all sorts. And we were like, no, we're, the story's 100% true, so we're going to go with it. And so maybe he thought that we'd, you know, bow down or take, bow down, you know, just roll over, I suppose. And um, then he had to go to the court. And when he lost in court, then that was it. I think it was a, that he was fatally wounded from that day because it showed, uh, you know, he couldn't just fire off a legal letter that the courts would look at something and say, actually, there is a public interest here. There is proper journalism here. I'm, I'm not going to side with you, Mr. Delaney. So that was a, that was a key moment in the whole process, yeah. Uh, was it a conscious thing that you knew that you would change the landscape of Irish football for the future? It's a massive landmark moment in, in, in the FI history, in, in Irish football in general. No, like, like 
if, you can, if people can throw their minds back to the football fans, like, like I'm, I'm someone who went over to Poland with my mates, like it was our first t- chance to go to a tournament, and it was horrible. <laughs> like, we took a crack, but um, from a football perspective, it was horrible. I just remember thinking, like, geez, you know, you, you live on the stories of people going to Japan and Korea, and yeah. obviously USA and Italy 90 before that, and you know, we'd, we'd always look forward to our tournament, and it was so, so disheartening, you know, how bad the football was, and uh, you know, we just got stunk, you know, at every match. Um, so I, I'm a big football. I, I couldn't believe, you know, being in Poznan or Sapo, seeing how all the, so many supporters were, you know, cheering John Delaney, putting him on, them on, putting him on their shoulders. All this kind of carry on of him going out drinking and losing his shoes. So I'd always I'd been skeptical of him, but I was just amazed that he, every crisis that came, you know, whether it was about um, the, the finances or how he was treating certain people or. The, the crazy stuff, you know, where he would tell, you know, you'd send out legal letters about, about him singing in the pub an IRA song, you know, even though it was 100% true. I, I was just, I, he built up this thing that everyone thought he was Teflon, you know, that he'd never be taken down. And I, I was like, Jesus, you know, how, how, what can we do to kind of show the light? Because I always was very sceptical of him and I thought there was more beneath the surface. Obviously, I didn't know the full extent of what was there, but I, I had my suspicions. <laughs> We, we didn't know what would happen in March. We, you know, I thought he might survive. And, you know, it, there were so many stories we did. Even, you know, we did the rent story that Delaney was getting paid 3,000 euro rent from the FAI. And they kept this secret, you know, even though all the FAI staff taken pay cuts and Delaney had still got kept on this uh, perk of the job, you know, despite, you know, he was going out talking about taking pay cuts. He, he'd kept on this rent payment for many years. And, you know, and even after the Aroctus hearing, when everyone was saying, Jesus, he, he wouldn't even answer a question. People thought, he's still going to survive, you know. Even the fact that he moved from CEO to executive vice president, just the board, the board was so, um, such patsies really, I suppose. They they weren't a strong board at all in the FAI. You know, they, they just bent to his will. But it was, as we, as, we, as we write about in the book, it was a key moment then when he did move off the board. I think that the, these people, who were, some of them were very capable, finally were able to uh, talk about you know, the direction the FA had been going in and, and, you know, the stuff that John Delaney had been doing because when he was a director and a chief executive, it meant that there was no free talk, really, in the FAI um, about the direction he was taking it in. And so that was a key moment when he he decided, you know, to when the media spotlight was shining on him in March 2019, he said, look, I'll move to this new position. He thought that would save him. But um, it, it opened the door for the board, really, to assert some control eventually. Yeah, it's a, it's strange how one man can just basically run the entire organisation as he saw fit. Um, the tour of football, that is something that he did. He came to Kilkenny. He went around to a lot of clubs here in Kilkenny. My club, Castle Warren Celtic, were uh, graced with his presence. I think I did a, a, a presentation in front of him. But uh, uh, I when the tennis ball thing happened up at the Aviva Stadium, I was chatting with uh, a fellow presenter here at KCLR and they, we were discussing John Delaney obviously um, the sentiment towards him but the sentiment that he shared was as he was part of a club that was recipient of some of the funds uh-huh. of, of John Delaney it was was quite positive maybe not knowing the scope and the depth of what your book alludes to and what your book proves but Mm. There was some positive sentiment there, and I can sense that in my own club when the tour of football, everyone was excited. John Delaney was coming, and what he could promise, and uh, uh, what what that could mean for a club. Um, have you found on when you're kind of discussing this that there is still some positive sentiment towards John Delaney at all? 
Oh, definitely, yeah. He still has his loyalists. And look, I'd understand there's a certain genius to John Delaney, you know, and he did a lot of positive things for, for local football, definitely. And that, you know, but if you look at it from afar, so John Delaney was an employee of the FAI. He was a chief executive, but he never he came from the grassroots himself. You know, he came from Munster football, um, St. Michael's Tipperary, then Waterford in the League of Ireland. But he never he entered the FAI first as a board member and then, um, you know, a volunteer who was a honorary treasurer. And he never gave up that um, grassroots kind of thing where you have to be elected. Even though you know, he's an employee, he, he would do those tours. He would, he'd be going around to Kilkenny or Donegal, and you know the, f- the football festivals were actually a very good idea as well. I think that was, you know, something you have to give him credit for. And but it, I think he was very calculating. You know, like I spoke to people in the FAI who'd say, you know, before every club tour, he'd ask for a, a, basically a dossier on all the club members. You know, who's who's the longest serving? Who's the, is it the characters? You know. And then John Delaney would study that before the visit. He'd write it up in an even smaller piece of paper, make his own notes, maybe add in. He'd call some people, get more detail. So then when he'd turn up, he'd say, oh, John, I believe you're at the club for 36 years and you've done this and that. And they'd be like, John Delaney knows who I am. Yeah. And, you know, that was all... I think there was a, he was very calculating in doing that because that, that did be, build his loyalty base. And that was why, um, when he was in trouble for so long, or even in trouble over the finances in 2015, that loyalty didn't really ebb away. Um, among a large cohort of you know the football administrators and the football uh, club supporters and, and all around Ireland, and you can understand that because John's a very, from what I know and what I, the hundreds of people I've spoken to have dealt with him, he's a very personal guy. He's he's very he's a guy you could describe as loyal. You know, if you ever needed um, a help for your club or even match tickets, he'd he'd see you good. You know, but I think he that was calculated. You know, to ensure he had that grassroots loyalty, and he'd say that to people in the FBI that. If, um, you know, if I'm gone, you know, that's going to go as well, you know, and if you dare tackle me, you know, I'm the one that has the support on the on the grassroots. So he, he that was, you know, he wasn't just doing that for the, the benefit of the FA. And the ironic thing, I suppose, is that, you know, a lot of these grants that he promised to local clubs haven't been delivered in the last couple of years. You know, I know a lot of clubs, like we write about League Slip United as one example, you know, in 2019 were promised um, 5,000 euros that still hasn't been delivered by the FAI. So this wasn't his money, it was the Football Association of Ireland's money and this is a an institution and an association that's um, unfortunately got debt in excess of 70 million euro now. Yeah, it's, it's staggering. The recent AGM maybe shows the FAI in a bit better shape than they were in 2018. However, as you said, outstanding debts, some of which will go on for more than two decades. Uh, Sports Mm -hmm. Direct uh, have pulled their funding. Their funds now uh, being due to Sports Direct, who have in turn now sponsored Cork GAA. How badly scarred is the FAI now due to this reckless behaviour? Yeah, it's it's in a very bad place, Shane, like to be brutally honest. You know, as you say, like they've no headline sponsor. Like like Delaney often said, you know, if I, I leave, I'll take the FAI with me. He said that to a number of directors, you know, and, you know, when he was in trouble, Sports Direct and Mike Ashley pulled their sponsorship and it turned out that not only had Delaney brought in this deal as a sponsorship, but he'd given Mike Ashley the entitlement in the contract to actually get repaid all his money. So now the FAI are repaying that six and a half million euro over the next uh, five or six years, you know, so it's it's not even that the sponsorship is gone, it's that they have to repay it, which is just, you know, a horrible reversal for the FAI on top of everything else. The three and Robert Finnegan, um, who was their CEO, he had a close relationship with Delaney. They've ended their sponsorship with the FAI, and you know the the F, there was a, a brand analysis done on kind of the leading Irish um, institutions and businesses and sport organisations, and the FAI was I think it was a hundred 
or the yeah, with the hundred the hundredth position out of a hundred top brands analyzed. You know, where the IRFU were in the top uh, five, and the GEA were up in the top ten as well. So they're they're struggling to bring in good sponsorship. They've um, huge debts. They've been you know obviously with COVID that's affecting all sporting organisations. So they're not able to easily bring in money for for match receipts. Um, so there's a, there's a big issue in terms of the FBI's ongoing financial problems. They've um, they've received a government bailout, a COVID bailout, and they don't have sponsorship. So it's a, it's a horrible. Um, scenario for them at the moment they've they brought in a new chief executive from England Jonathan Hill um, he's living in England uh, hasn't moved over here yet so that's an, another problem that uh, they haven't really hit the ground running with the new leadership they've had a kind of an interim um, leadership under Gary Owens and Niall Quinn that kept the uh, kept the boat off the rocks I suppose and got that government uh, bailout in but you know, a year on um, since Delaney left, it's it's you know it still looks fairly grim the, the future, and I suppose the, the playing side of things hasn't improved either, unfortunately, under Stephen Kenny. Um, although you know the, you can see green shoots and how they're playing, but obviously no goals and no wins is not, it's not a good um, return from from all the matches so far. And Shane Duffy getting both the best and worst goal of last year. Against <laughs> <laughs> exactly, uh, the longest, the shortest, and everything else. Exactly, uh, Mark. Uh, just before we let you go, any more plans in the future? Any more uh, crackdowns on any <laughs> anything between yourself and Paul? Any more plans for any books? Um, well, look, we, we'd often we'd be open to revisiting this. Like it's it's a fascinating story. There's so much that hasn't been on, hasn't been told about the FAI story. Like there's an ongoing guard investigation. Um, it's back in court this Thursday. Um, you know they've, they've seized. They got a search warrant and they seized over a quarter of a million emails from John Delaney and that. That process is in the high court at the moment where Delaney isn't given an opportunity to go through them and say which are um, private or which are legally privileged. Um, so th- th- that's going to be an ongoing process. There should be some developments on that um, by th- by this year, you know. Uh, so we'll see where that goes and then we'll see. Then we'll take a look at it, you know, because I think that, that could be very interesting to tell that story of the whole investigation. Like my, both myself and Paul are continuing to, to work on reporting, you know, the developments like the Damien Duff thing. Removal, like I, I've been reporting today on, you know, GAA issues, you know, about players wearing unapproved uh, helmets, helmets and yeah. Big, yeah, big players like Joe Canning. So there's, um, you know, there's all sorts of issues. Like, like I'm a news reporter myself, so, but I, I, I'm a sports fan, so I often kind of, kind of overlap with with some different aspects, whether it's football, Gaelic, or rugby. There's always kind of interesting uh, things happening on on regulation and finance. So it's a it's a, the right area to to be kind of covering as a journalist, you know. Certainly, I, I know myself uh, when the lockdown was happening. The only thing that kept me going was the Belarusian Premier League. So maybe there's something over there. <laughs> so maybe there's a story know, in that yeah, for you as well. I hope I hope to keep the sports going as much as possible. I'm an Everton fan myself, so you know that's and a Finn Harp. So um, they're the two things I keep a very close eye on. Lovely, lovely, yeah, Mark. It was an absolute pleasure speaking to you. I'll let you go back enjoy your Sunday. Um, but thank you so much. Yourself and Paul have written something really fantastic. Have done something really good for uh, for football in general. On the country so thank you very much for taking the time thank you for uh, getting the book and uh, have a great Sunday brilliant thanks Shane really enjoyed it that was an interview just from a few months back with Mark Ty the author of Champagne Football The Rise and Fall of John Delaney great book if you hadn't had the chance to read it go out and get it if you can next up John Corrigan from the Kilkenny and District League (laughs) 
Welcome back to Scoreline. We're going to switch our attention now from Camogie to soccer. It is the KCLR McCalman Cup draw. News broke about two weeks ago that the Kilkenny and District League will be running off their competitions that they didn't get to finish for obvious reasons. But it was a music to the ears of managers and players alike and now we have the draw for the McCalman Cup. Chairman of the Kilkenny District League and Fixture Secretary John Corrigan joining me now in studio. John, thanks very much for coming into us. No problem, Shane. It's great to be back again. Yeah, it's uh, it, as there must have been a, a real kind of struggle to determine what you were going to do with the, we were talking to Tom Mullins there, what you were going to do, whether to start the season early whether wait until September, but really music to the ears of uh, players and coaches alike that were getting to run these cup competitions Well, it was as the there was rumour after rumour but from, we were supposed to start in May then that was knocked, and as it got nearer the June, July time of the year the less chance there was of doing something you know, because we were ho- really hoping to start in August with the new season and just to, if we started the new season but the, the clamber was there for, from all our levels of football to try and get a game get some games so we decided look we'll do the cup competitions there's not a hope of the leagues yeah. and for the second year in the row so one of the cups the Shemar Shield was up to the quarter final so we said we'll finish it we do the KCLR sponsored McCallman Cup and I do the divisional cups now some teams will end up having two games that's the way it goes and someone will get to the the two teams get to the final but as I said last week it's up to them to decide how many games they have you know that's that's exactly what it is and then hopefully we'll come back in maybe the middle of August for junior and get get the season started and run as per normal you know but we said we we go with this a couple of teams have not a couple of the clubs haven't put in their teams they they just weren't ready Uh, one or two teams have clubs that put in their B team will play in the B competitions, but their A teams are unavailable. So, look, we have 31 teams entered for this draw, so we'll have 15 games and one by. The the team left in the bag when we have the draw done will be the team in the uh, in the la- in the next round. I'm starting it on what's Wednesday, I think it's the 9th of June. I'm going to play this outstanding quarterfinals of the Marsh Shield, and then the following Sunday will be the first round of this. Um, looking at it, we will be playing Tuesday and when, uh, Sunday and Wednesday with games, but I probably run this competition every Sunday because it doesn't give much of a chance to get a draw done and get people knowing where they're going. Yeah. So we'll probably try and slot in the Divisional Cups midweek okay. and we'll play this every Sunday down to the final and... Look, touch wood, we'll get there. Yeah, uh, fingers crossed. Stay open, you know. We're looking forward to it. And um, so this is the McCallum Cup. You're saying Sunday the thirteenth ter- is the curtain raiser for it's the, the curtain raiser first round, yeah. And then on the ninth would be running off the rest of the the shield. The, uh, the four quarterfinals. Three of them will be on the Wednesday the ninth. One will be on Thursday the tenth because freebooters have two have A and B are both in the quarterfinals and they both got a home draw. Right. So obviously you can't play the two at the one time. <laughs> so I have to decide to Boothers B are playing Harmon Villa, Boothers A are playing Bridge United. One of them will be on the Thursday night. I just have to decide yet which which it'll be. Bit of a headache for you, but sure no, look, we're getting there. Um our KCLR sport producer, the angry young man, Robbie Dowling, uh, my centre midfielder Maestro will be helping you with the draw. He didn't heat any balls for Castle Warren to get the boy into the next round or anything like that. So it's all above ground. Oh, it's all above well the, the <laughs> kind of balls I'm using if he heats them they melt. <laughs> but, but, so uh, Robbie, just, just one just one thing yeah. before we go. When the fixture is made, 
the fixture will be played. There's no changing. We yeah. just doesn't, don't have the time or we don't have the referees to mess around. Right. Your fixture is on Sunday or a midweek fixture. That's the only fixture you're getting after that to the walkover. Yeah, no problem we at all. To be, we have to be firm on it. Right. Um, so what way do you want to do this? Well, let's... Um, if the, well, the two. If, if can you pass it between you there? One you draw home, one you draw away, and I'll scribble because yeah, no problem at all. And okay. so is it numbers or teams? There no. You'll draw a number, and That's I have the team. Quali- the I have the number team behind it we'll here. Give so. it a nose shake. So, so you're drawing the the first home dra- home team. The first home team is number twenty three. Number 23 is Thomastown United B. Thomastown United B. And Robbie Dowling's going to be taking out the away team. Number 19. And number 19 is Freshford Town. Freshford Town. So you have Thomastown versus Freshford. That is the first of the McCalment Cup draw. Now here I am. It is number 24. Oh, you like your high numbers. Brookville. Brookville. And they will be taking on number 26. Number 26 is Evergreen 46. So Evergreen 46 versus Brookville. Well, the other way around. <laughs> They'll be telling me that they came out first. <laughs> it's Brookville versus Evergreen 46. I have a lower number this time. It is the number 9. Number 9 is Callan United. And they will be at home to number 17. Number 17. Have a guess. Castlewarren Celtic? Castlewarren Celtic. Castlewarren Celtic versus Callan. The other way around. <laughs> Callan versus Castlewarren Celtic. Sorry. <laughs> Callan are the home draw. I have number 18. Number 18 is Freebooters C. And they will be hosting number 8. Number 8. Just go back one in the cal- in the <laughs> in the alphabet. <laughs> Freebooters B. Oh, that that'll be a tough game anyway. Doesn't matter which one's home and away in that one though. No. <laughs> well, it is from Pendlerette. <laughs> <laughs> Number fourteen. Number fourteen. New Park United A. And they will be at home to number twenty-five. Dean Celtic B. So that's New Park A versus Dean Celtic B, B in the Bernabog, as mm. I call it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it would be this week. <laughs> uh, number 30. Number 30 is St. John's. St. John's, an old rival of Castle Warren's. St. John's will be facing number 31. Tolerone. That's a, an our lower division one. We have it, so that's St. John's versus Tullerone was the next draw in the KCLR sponsored McCalmont Cup. We now take out number one. Number one is Bridge United, and the Bridge United just have the one team, so it is Bridge. And the team travelling to Gorse Bridge will be number three. Number three is Dean Celtic A. Dean Celtic A. Two away games for Dean. All the look of the draw. Number 28. Number 28 is Spa United B. And they will be taking on number 7. Thomastown A. Thomastown A will be travelling to face Spa B. This is number 11. Number 11 is East End United. 
And it's actually the East End United B team because the, the A team is not in it. Yeah, East End, right. And they will be going up against number 12. Number 12, Fort Rangers. That won't be a long distance travel for Jim. So that's East End United versus Fort, Fort Rangers. Rangers. The next is number four. Number four is Ever- Coppola's Evergreen A. Evergreen A. Don't think anyone wants to be drawn here. Uh, <laughs> number 20. And they certainly didn't. Number 20 is Highview Athletic B. There we go. Evergreen A versus Highview Athletic B. Next number out is number 16. Number 16 is Evergreen C. And the next number is number 5. Booters A. Booters A. Bit of a town derby there. A bit of a town derby. A big town derby. (laughs) (laughs) Family reunion. Next up is 22. 22, Spa United A. Number two. Clover United. Another close derby. Some good games here. So that was Spa United A versus Clover United. The next number is number 13. Number 13, Armand Villa. Armand Villa. Against number 27. 27 is another local derby, New Park B. That'll be a feisty affair. (laughs) New Park B, up against Armand. So we're down to the last few balls now. Number 15. Number 15 is Stony Ford. Number 29. St. Canis's. Eddie Clifford managing St. Canis's, who knocked us out of the shield, actually. So, good team, good side, good players. Number 10. Number 10 is Evergreen B. Mick Hennessy will be busy because I think three of his four teams are playing, are playing out in his, in his lovely pitch. <laughs> uh, number 21. Number 21, River Rangers. So that's Evergreen B versus River Rangers out in Evergreen Park. So we have the last ball. Should we have the last ball? These boys are into the next round. This is number six. Number six should be Highview Athletic A, and it is. So Highview Athletic A have a boy into the next yeah. round. Highview A. Now, I have it written out just in my own way here, so but I, I'll go through it for you, if you want. Yeah, go it's, for it. It's um, Thomastown United B versus Freshford Town. Brookville versus Evergreen 46. Callan United versus Castle Warren Celtic. Freebooters C versus Freebooters B. New Park United A versus Dean Celtic B. St. John's versus Tullerone. Bridge United versus Dean Celtic A. Spa United B versus Thomastown United A. East End versus Fort Rangers. Evergreen A versus Highview Athletic B. Evergreen C versus Freebooters A. Spa United A versus Clover United. Armand Villa versus New Park United B. Stodyford United versus St. Canis's. Evergreen B versus River Rangers and Highview Athletic A 
have a bye. So that's the the first round. Ga- all games will be played on Sunday the 13th. Is it, is it? Sunday the 13th, so that's Sunday correct. Sunday the 13th. Brilliant, yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, some amount of fixtures there, John. Um, as you said, Evergreen are going to have a bit of work to do in terms of organising the, the pitches. We'll be hoping it's a better weather than, we, than we've had for the last week. They have enough you know, of them out there, though, at Evergreen Park. Well, they have anyway. a fair <laughs> one. I see they're going to put in another, another all-weather, too. So it'd be great to be, to be able to advance like that. The two booters side as well, against going up against each other? Going up against each other, yeah. But that's kind of a common occurrence that you know, club teams will come up against each other and there's no love lost and there's there's nothing you, you won't say which one will win you know just and it's, it's interesting because the the evergreens or the freebooter c team is made up of the leinster junior team ge- generally so these lads will be the ones that'll be hoping to be on the b's and the a teams in the future so they yeah, have really be the, they, it was they entered their youth team last when we started last season they entered their youth team as a c team yeah. to get a more competitive games that was a great idea it just it didn't work out with the way things went unfortunately this is their chance but, uh, to stake a claim now uh, definitely the the they um would have be very good footballers now for another thing for teams to watch there is you can't it's last year's panel this is last year's cup yeah. so new players can't be signed and played in this it's the panel you had for last year okay. you'll be outside and sign the new players you'll be outside transfer time it's uh, last year's panel. You have to stick with what you have. That's that's the way okay. It goes. That's interesting because we had lads from last year that never signed the signed the form, so maybe they won't be able to play. And they're just coming up to training for nothing. Yeah, well, they're, 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 they won't be allowed to sign the form at this stage. Okay, it's, it's after March is the end of that. So that's the. It's just we we have to do it officially. You see, you have to get special permission from the FAI. Right to go over June once it goes out into June, you have to get permission to run these competitions. There we have it. And they, so the the draw for the divisional cups will be in the next few few days. They're, um, on, Tuesday, uh, they're on Tuesday night. Yeah, and uh, we'll be expecting those to be midweek fixtures, as you said. I'm hoping they'll be mid midweek fixtures. We look down. We sit down. We look at the. I'll sit down on that Sunday evening. Look at what way fixed the results went and be able to work it handier off that but I will be trying to get the, the Shield is the first one the following Wednesday night will definitely be the semi-finals of the Shield then once I know when I once I get to a final of a competition well then I can slot it in you know if the two if the finalists of the Shield were knocked out in the first round of the of this competition which they can be well then it leaves me a day open for yeah and if the finalists of the Shield keep going to the final of this well it will be played but when <laughs> I, don't, I don't know I, I'll write this out properly and you can you can um, we have it up we, outside. we have we have it up on uh, we're going to have it up on scoreline.ie in just oh, about five right. minutes oh, typed right. away hopefully it's all right That's the draw for the McCalman Cup. My own beloved Castle Warren ended up getting Callan. Freebooters playing Freebooters. A few interesting draws there, to say the least. Sticking with the soccer theme, here is Carlos Stan Brennan, who represents Kilkenny Pocock Golf Centre in foot golf. Stan Brennan doing the Pocock Golf Centre proud, I can assure you of that. Kevin Hennessy is here now talking all things Greyhounds. Incredible night's race and Grangeview Mac stealing the show again. Um, as we all know, the, the Kilkenny Track Champion on Race is one of the best unraced competitions uh, on the calendar year in Greyhound Racing, and, and it's very rare to see a Greyhound go through the competition unbeaten thus far. And that's exactly what Grangeview Mac has done. He's unbeaten en route to the final. 
He posted a 28.69 with 20, 20 off uh, for the 20 slow on Kenny. Michael Hogan must be over the moon with this uh, this dog. He really has a bright future. He's got everything. He starts. He's great early. And he, and he stays very well as well. He posted one spot faster than Michael Dunphy and John Lennon's droopies. Yes, he, he clocked 28.70, beating Serene Ace and Carrageen Law for Thomas Buggy, a local runner lining up in the final. Thomas, uh, a neighbour of mine here, obviously. So it looks to be a cracking final um, the weekend. Serene Ace has drawn one. Canuck Billy's in two. Grangeview Mack is in three. He's yet four. Carrageen Law in five. And get away from me. The stare in the lineup is out in six. If there was bookies on course, Ted Brown would be calling Grangeview Mac the favourite. Uh, unfortunately, we won't have bookmakers on course, but it's a promising final. And um, I, 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 it'd be a, I, it'd be a braver man than me to take on Grangeview Mac. <laughs> uh, to be fair, he, he, he's really flying. There was also the, the Kenny Greyhound owners and breeders, they too got underway. A nice local winner in the fastest time of the uh, Carlo Mac posting. 889 for the JMH Syndicate uh, local to Bungstown. Lee Samurai and File Julie were the other two heat winners. And File Julie, of course, well, she's owned by the chairman of the Kilkenny GA Supporters Club, John Mackey, a good character around the town. So um, I'm sure File Julie will have plenty of supporters when she goes to boxes for the semi finals there the weekend. So it promised to be a cracking weekend in Kilkenny this coming uh, coming weekend with the final of the, the champion unrest in the semi finals of the Greyhound Owners and Breeders A2 as well. Now, last week you were you were singing the praises of uh, Jaron Sheila Duncan's bitch from Kells, Glory Casey. Uh, said yeah. it could be destined to go right to the top, but unfortunately it wasn't the, the, the night they expected on Friday, was it? No, she didn't come away running out of trap one. She paced up well to the corner, and then she encountered plenty of traffic problems. Um, she just got trouble at the bend, and, and in those races, uh, Shane, as you know, there's no room for error. One, one, one bit of trouble, and 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 your goose is cooked. So she just encountered traffic problems at the first bend. But look, she's a bitch. I think that still will go right to the top. Um, for those supporters of, uh, of, of Greyhound Racing, Kenny, you'll keep an eye on her because um, I think when she even even steps up a little bit and trip further than the five two five, I think we could even see more coming from her. So she's a very young bitch with a bright future. Keep a close eye on her. So, getting away now from Kilkenny, as we'll have a big night of racing next Friday night. We know that the Greyhound racing world in Ireland is ever-evolving, and there's lots of races going on all over the country. So, how are we looking across in the likes of Shelburne, say? Yeah, no, Shelburne uh, on the weekend got the Oaks away, the Sporting Press on edition of the 12th first-round heat, 25,000 jaws to the winner. This is the, the biggest event in the calendar year for the females, and Honestly, I think it's one of the best oaks I've ever seen. Ballydale Ross, of course, the fastest time of the opening round, a 28-17 run for PFR. This is a bitch with only a handful of races to her name. She's incredibly gifted. Lacks a yard of early, but she came away running uh, Saturday night, and, and she wasn't going to be denied. She posted the fastest time of the opening round. Bally McBeany, last year's winner. She's bidden to be, I think, only the third bitch in history to ever win the Oaks back-to-back. Five-month layoff to post a 28-23, a stunning run. And then um, the likes of Scooby Princess was also a notable winner in 28-28. She obviously won the Limerick Oaks. We flagged her up last week. And a local winner, John and Maria Kennedy's Billy's Diva. She got to the final of the Easter Cup recently against uh, against the boys and uh, and against all the grounds. She's another one that one of the best ladies in the country. She posted 28-35, and she looks to be in with a massive say 
in where this Oaks will go. The second round heats are on again this Saturday night. The ticket heats is probably heat five, where Ballydale Rossa will take on Robert Gleeson's front Armani. She's another lady with exceptional ability, but you can watch all the action on Saturday night on Talking Dogs TV. Sticking with Saturday night, Conmel saw the Project Stakes quarterfinals and and the Kenbys were on fire there in Erlingford because good Cody posted the fastest quarterfinal winning time at 28.20. It must be one of the top three fastest times I've ever seen posted in Clonmel. Uh, he's owned and trained by John in Erlingford and he came up the bar by far the fastest heat winner in 20.20. Vallejo ran a real eye-catcher in defeat, only beating a length back. Explosive Boy was also a nice winner, 28.38. This dog would be one of the favourites for the Irish Derby this year. He lined up in the final of the Con Kirby where he was favoured but got no luck. But he was back to his best for Pat Kilfoyle popping out and making all. Local runner Murty Lahey there had Zoom back in second. He's a dog with scintillating early pace. He's yet to really hit the front in the competition down there in Clonmel. And it's a front runner's track and trust me, when he starts, there's not many who will lead him. So I'm sure Murty and Deirdre will be doing all they can to get Zoom out of the boxes in the semi-final next Saturday and he won't be without a shout. Vipers, Buzz and Nitro Hero were the other two semi-final winners, Shane. I have to give a big shout-out to Deirdre as well, because when we tried to get through to Tom yesterday, she sent us uh, <laughs> through an amazing report from Ian Fortune in regards to the open-done race as well. So well, I was going to wait yeah. until I brought you on. So Deirdre, thank you very much if you're out there listening. you uh, do do doing the Lord's work, keeping us updated on everything that's happening. Um, Talking about keeping us updated, what's happening then next week? We know that we have the final now of the champion on race, but I, I suppose it's probably a big week wherever you look in Greyhound Racing. Yeah, the English Derby uh, first round draw is actually on Saturday night, so um, <laughs> there's a massive Irish invasion going over. Um, my dad here, we'll have four going over as well. Um, anyone looking to have an anti-post bet, Beach Avenue, a dog of our own, is about 25 or 33 to 1. If you're looking to have a five each way and something to keep an interest I wouldn't put you off him he, he he lacks a yard of early but he's a brilliant competition dog and he could stay qualifying for a bit of interest so I'll be all eyes on the draw there that's happening this Saturday coming um, so the English Derby will be updating you as we go through that obviously all that eyes on Friday night will be on the champion on racing Kenny that's the big one and on Saturday night Talking Dogs TV um, it's going to be a brilliant show because we're getting the second round of the Oaks we get the sec- the semi-finals of the Project Stakes below in Clamel. There's a nice A1 stake on in Limerick at the moment. The opening rounds were on last night. I was down there. Um, we'll update as that one gets towards the latter stages. It's the Golden Muzzle A1. 4,000 euros the winner. A nice competition. On Friday night, actually, in Tralee, we have the final of the Lee Strand. And, and an interesting dog here is a dog called Ballymac Rule. Now, it's not often dogs go unbeaten through their careers today. This dog is nine wins from nine races. And what makes it even more interesting is He's actually coursing bred. He's bred for the field. He's about 90-odd pound weight, and he's making it. He's making a name for himself on the track. He's nine from nine. He lines up in the final for 8,500 euros for the all-conquering Liam Dowling kennel, and um, it'll be brilliant to see him go on and make it 10 from 10 now because he's a new in wonder, Ballymac Town. I know they liked him at the field. He ran in the trial stake. I think he got to the final or semi-final until the course and had to unfortunately come to a halt, but he will go back to the field, but very interesting, and, and I hope he goes on and wins it now and makes it 10 from 10 on Friday night in Chile also.
Thank you very much, Kevin Hennessy, who gave us a lowdown on all things Greyhounds. Giving us a lowdown as well before the end of the PGA Championship, which will be tonight. If you're listening to this Monday, it was last night. So hopefully Harry Ewing has some of the spoilers right. Here is Harry. The buzz, stats and the history isn't on Shane and Parry's side, as they say, on plus one. And that's eight behind the lead of Phil Mickelson. Yeah, Phil Mickelson, the 2005 winner, taking that one-stroke lead, one shot clear of Brooks Kopka in second. But yeah, you know, when you're talking about stories being written, that would be some something for the ages, no? Yeah, look, it would, absolutely. Phil's playing fantastic goals this week. Like it, Usually he can be a bit ropey off the, off the tee, and he's in second place in strokes gained. That's a stat or a, a metric that we use to kind of look at, 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 at certain departments of his game. He's second in strokes gained off the tee this week, so he really is driving the ball quite well. He had a bit of a wobble for anyone that watched it last night on holes 12 and 13. On, on hole 13, he hit a poor drive into a, into a water hazard and, and came out with a double bogey. But from there in, he was quite steady on the closing five holes and, and got a magic up and down in true Phil Mickelson style on the 18th hole to get his par and to keep that one-shot lead over the rest of the field. So, yeah, look, as you said, he's a 50-year-old now. He's the oldest 54-hole leader in this PGA Championship in its history and I suppose we have to think back to 2009 and Tom Watson uh, to be the last over 50 year old to lead in a major going into the final round so Tom Watson didn't get it done unfortunately as we remember back in 2009 but look Phil's playing great golf he's confident and I, I think when he tees it up alongside Brooks who I mentioned yesterday is very much a, a major's machine in Brooks Kepke. Phil will be a different opponent for Brooks tonight. Phil won't lie down. Phil has all the experience, as you said. He won here in 2005 in a PGA Championship. He's already won five majors. So I don't think Phil will be kind of uh, overawed uh, by Brooks. Brooks is a serious, serious golfer, as I've said. And, and he's a wordy, he's a wordy second favorite, I suppose, or joint favorites, maybe. But that one-shot lead that Phil has might might be somewhat of a difference maybe between them tonight. But look, that's not the whole story. There's a, a plenty of other contenders there as well. Louis, I spoke of Louis yesterday. I really fancied him since the start of the week. And he had a fairly solid round last night, level par. Um, he's only two off the lead. So you'd have to say Louis has a great chance there as well, Shane. Uh, well, just going back to, the say, the Mickelson and Kopka story, um, like, do you think the experience... Now, if Mickelson will get him over the line, or as I know Louis is in contention as well, or do you think Kafka's power will see him pull ahead? It's look, opinions, opinions, opinions. Uh, Phil, I suppose. Look, he's coming to the twilight of his time on the main tour. He still very much has it. You would wonder whether there might be a fatigue uh, factor now coming into Sunday. There's a lot of pressure there, trying to kind of you know really lead from the front and, and win a tournament when you're in the spotlight pretty much since Thursday. Um, as we've said, he'd become the oldest winner of a major, you know. So, you know, there's a lot of pressure in that, I suppose. But he's a class act, has been for many, many years. You would imagine once he's in the flow of a tournament and as confident as he must be because of the golf that he's played this week, that energy and that vibe um, would carry him over the line, possibly. But look, we've, we've said it about Brooks before. We came into this week wondering about his injury, his knee injury. He pulled out of some tournaments, wasn't in amazing form, apart from a win going way back in February. But, you know, he's there. You know, this thing about injury or fitness, it's not really there. Brooks keeps popping out the scores. A very solid round of 70 last night. Um, a shame, really, in, in a way that his second shot went just over the back of the green on 18, and he took three putts from there to drop... 
drop one shot on the back nine with that bogey. But look, he's a he's a real big time player. He's going for his third PGA Championship. He won this tournament in 2018 and 2019, and he has two other majors stacked up with that. So he's looking to join Phil on five major championships, and and that's a kind of elite group to be honest. Rory'd love to love to get there someday. This week wasn't his week once again, unfortunately, but. Those two at the top are, are serious major performers, and you'd imagine it could end up being a bit of a battle. I think for us that we'll watch it on TV tonight, we nearly hope that it becomes great golf and a great battle between those two legends of the game, I suppose. Now, you mentioned Rory McIlroy. He's currently 5 over, gets his final round underway at around 20 to 3. Uh, Brooks Kopka, you kind of answered it there. I was, I was interested to know if he's kind of back to his best form since his knee operation. Uh, but you kind of you went through it there. You mentioned Louis Ustez in there. Um, there's three South Africans down in the top 10. They're all in contention, which is a great feat. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, look, we can be a bit general when we say this, but like that course seems to kind of suit that style of player. We we talk coming into this week because it's by the sea. It's not quite a links, but it's kind of has a lot of sand and waste areas and has a lot of breeze coming in off the sea. We thought maybe that a, a Great Britain and Irish player would go well this week. And again, South African players again because of the style of golf courses that they would be brought up on. So it's no great surprise to, to see some South Africans, as you said, Louis and Brandon Grace in particular are up there in the top five. So, you know, two class players in their own right. They play well everywhere anyway. And as I said yesterday, Louis has been kind of trending very well this season. He's he's number one on the PGA Tour this season for putting, and that used to be his old nemesis, I suppose. We saw a little sign of that, unfortunately, on the on the back nine last night. He had a couple of weak putts, um, you know, and that's what's put him two shots behind, I suppose. Level par yesterday was was solid, but it wasn't spectacular, shall we say. So, look, he's still there. He's only two shots behind, very much in it. If I bring you down through another few, Bryson DeChambeau, five shots behind. Is that too far back? I think it probably is. Himself and Gary Woodland back on two under par. Both major winners, serious golfers as well. But I think five shots back against the quality of guys that's up in the top three in Phil, Brooks and Louis might be just too much. So, look, it remains to be seen. Uh, what kind of wind uh, puffs up there over there tonight but uh, it'll be very interesting intriguing watch the leaders tee off there at about half seven so I'm sure those that are into their golf will be glued to the final round of this major on a Sunday night certainly will be just before we go Para Carrington Shane Lowry they're playing together in the final round as they resume for a one over at five o'clock Irish time um, they'll be disappointed with how it went overall will they? Little bit, yeah, I think so. Look, well, maybe on different in, in different ways. I'm sure Porig might be quite pleased. You know, it's a good performance in a major. He's tied twenty third now as he enters into the final round. Porig's had a very good season this year, considering he's so much on his plate with the Ryder Cup coming up and the captaincy and all the detail that that brings. But he's had a bit of a renaissance in his career over the last probably six to eight months when we came back from the first bout of COVID. I suppose Porig has played quite solid. Shane, on the other hand. I suppose his expectations might be a little bit higher than Parry's currently where he is in his career. Um, he leads the strokes gain staff off the tee this week, so he's very solid you know, in his long game. Uh, just the putting, as I mentioned yesterday, he hasn't held his fair share this week. A little bit disappointing on the greens. But look, in a tie for 23rd, on plus one, if he can throw in a decent finish tonight and maybe squeak himself into the top ten, it's it's a good it's a good finish again. It's big world ranking points. We know Shane's desired uh, target for this year is to make that team at the end of the year for the Ryder Cup in Parig's team. So look, he's having a having a solid season. I think we can keep Shane on side. 
for this year. I really fancy him for Tory Pines in a month's time for the US Open. That will be our next major. And I think the signs are there. If he could just hold a few more putts, he would be right up there towards the top end of the leaderboard. And just finally, how important do you think pin position and conditions are going to be then today? Yeah, I'm sure they'll, they'll look, they will. They'll, they'll make it tricky. You'll have your Sunday flags. They, there will be some flags that will be accessible, I suppose. They do want to see a little bit of volatility in the scoring and, and some birdies rather than pros struggling all the time. So I'm sure that they'll set it up with a mixture of kind of tough ones and then a couple of options as well, I suppose. But you're right, look, it, it depends. There wasn't a whole lot of wins yesterday. Yesterday was very much a scoring day. Um, so it remains to be seen what happens there tonight. But either way, I think we're going to be in for a bit of a treat uh, tonight. There's only 12 guys under par. I really think you can probably only focus with the guys in the top five or six. I really feel they've got to be within about four shots of the lead to really have a chance. But uh, let's see what happens, Shane. I'm going to stick with Louis, and uh, be it right or wrong, I'm going to I'm going to stick with him. Why would I? Why would I jump ship at this stage? <laughs> Harry, a pleasure as always. I'm sure we'll be in touch now. Coming up to the Irish Open as well in a few months' time. I'm sure you have one eye on that. Uh, you're a co-presenter of Tree Off the Tee Golf Podcast as well. What do you got coming up on that? Yeah, in fairness, yeah, the podcast is going great. We've interviewed some guests there over the last couple of weeks, so I have them pre-recorded and ready for release. Annika Sorenstam being one of the biggest names from ladies' golf, I suppose. She is the biggest name in ladies' golf over the last probably 20 years, so it was great to get Annika on the podcast, have a chat with her on all things her career. So, yeah, some great guests lined up. We'll be doing our major championship review tomorrow with Greg Allen, Greg's RT's golf correspondent. Great guy, he comes on with us to both preview and review the majors, so we'll be doing that tomorrow as well. So, look, it's great. It's a, it's an avenue for someone that's a bit of a golf nut with my co-host, Ian St. John, for a pal of mine, a fellow professional. It's a, it's a great avenue for the two of us to get out there, get out all the 20,000 words about golf that we want to talk about each day, I suppose, you know? <laughs> Harry, uh, where can you check it out? On all the normal podcast places, Spotify, Apple Podcast, or threeoffthetpodcast.com? Absolutely, you, you just said it, all of the above, yeah, if you search for at 3 off the T, you'll find us, and if anyone's on Twitter, maybe jump on tonight and have a look, I'm doing a bit of live tweeting for at by the minute golf, they're basically a, a minute by minute tweet coverage, if you're sitting on the couch watching the golf and you want to have some social media interaction, I'll be at the range tonight for the final round there, so if anyone wants to hop on and share some thoughts, and we have a couple of small little prizes there as well, so maybe hop on at Vitamin Golf tonight for the final round. Thanks, Harry. And now here is some John Scott, the Kenny Intermediate Manager, after their victory over Leash. John Scott, Intermediate Manager. Uh, good victory over Leash in your round two game here in the Littlewoods National League. What's your overall thoughts at the end of the match? Yeah, look, it's good. We um, just we just talking to the boys there. Um, we came to get the actual win over. Look, I know it wasn't pretty at times, but sure, look, a win is a win. Um, we'll take it. It's only the second game of the season, so uh, any win is a good win. So look, we'll take it as it goes anyway. A good win is right. Uh, I suppose you were in a kind of a, a weird situation. It doesn't really happen in Camogie matches. Down to fourteen players in the first half. What were your thoughts uh, of the process going down to the the less play, or having the more player up with Leash gone down to the fourteen? Had you a game plan in place for that scenario happening? 
Uh, no, not really. It wouldn't be actually a, a common thing to be going with getting a, a, send, a sending off in Camogie. So we, were, we weren't actually planning on that. Um, so we didn't really have anything, any strategy for it. But uh, I thought the girls, look, they played well, they kind of knuckled down. And sometimes, you know yourself, uh, 15 against 14, and usually sometimes it backfires on you. But no, the girls kind of knuckled down. And once we got the kind of the spare player going, we, we were okay. And look, should we... The win, as I said, we got the win over anyway. It wasn't pretty, but we got there. No, there's probably things to work on. Like, Leisha's work race today was very impressive. They never really gave in till the final whistle. The Kilkenny girls played very, very well, especially the backs, I thought. You know, they snuffed out an awful lot of chances once they got to grips after the first 15 minutes. Even within the first quarter, going in ahead, you must have been pleased. Yeah, I was very pleased, actually, going in at, yeah, at half. Even the first quarter, going in at... I think we're a couple of points up at that stage and yeah look I was happy we, our backs are very I think we have a very strong leg and look that's something to work with now we gave away a lot of frees just looking at the stats there there was a lot of frees conceded against us so we have that's something that we have to massively work on but other than that no, look the backs played excellent I thought like, once they got on top they were excellent I thought no in fairness to the referee I thought it was a very flowing game I mean we got pulled up for an awful lot of overcarrying especially by poor Sarah Crowley who must have got caught uh, four or five different times but as you said that's something that you can work on now that you have the break next week and then going forward then into the knockout stages Yeah that's something that we will work on in training and uh, no Sarah no, she was getting frustrated there already getting overcarrying the whole time but um, no, that's, we'll be on the training ground on Tuesday night and there's something we'll talk to them all about as well to be conscious of the actual travelling with the ball but uh, look yeah, we will, we will work with all them anyway at, during Tuesday and Thursday night and, and as we have we have the break next week so we'll try and do something with them anyway definitely Experience for probably a lot of them girls uh, last week against Wexford being Wexford first team played very very well I have to say watched it back on the stream and especially in the second half like scoring 14 points against Wexford you were had to be happy enough and then the confidence going into this game here today Oh yeah yeah. last, last week now I thought they actually played I think myself they thought played, probably played better last week than they did actually this today um, but that was you know against Wexford's first team who were very you know, very good I think they will they're trying to push it on down there and they played excellent now but uh, no we were delighted actually to score the 14 points last week you know against their first team but I thought now today you know, the girls in some parts they upped it especially in our backs we were very strong I thought now today like, so I was very pleased with that Wexford and Leash now next week we'd all assume that Leash or Wexford is probably going to beat Leash that would put yourselves then in the qualifying position of being one of the group runners up and looking forward to a quarter final position so I'm assuming that you're going to be looking forward to that now when you get back to training next Tuesday Oh yeah definitely looking forward to it that's what I said to the girls even there like we can only take one game at a time I know the game is only after finishing the Leash game but that's history now so we'll move on now to whoever the next game is and touch wood hopefully Wexford will beat Leash and look we'll be looking forward to a quarter final in two weeks after that or whether I think it could be the week after but we'll be looking forward to that in the coming weeks anyway Split season is after being brought in even though it's probably thrown in on top of an awful lot of managers as well uh, what's your own point of view on it are you happy enough that the season is going to continue after the league almost straight away or would you have rather that couple of weeks and get the girls back to the clubs and bring them back in then later on in the season um, yeah I was kind of to tell you the truth because I'm involved as well with the club as well myself so I was kind of caught between the two of them I wasn't really which way I was going to go but I know with the split season I think when going by the managers I think a lot of them are happier the way it is but I think some of the players would have preferred to go back and play summer hurling with their clubs so I look I thought it actually worked very well last year with the clubs but then this year look 
so look we'll just have to get on with the way it is now at the moment and we'll go from there must be great didn't have the chance to play at all last year with the pandemic and the way things worked out so it is really great to have these girls back playing for their county as well and a chance to show what they can do um, for the league and hopefully later on in the championship as well you must be happy getting back to it as well oh yeah, yeah I tell you I was never as happy to get back into the pitch there three or four weeks ago um, yeah the girls I was so sorry for them last year when everything was called off uh, some of the girls were gutted now really really gutted because they had put in such an effort the few weeks that we were allowed to train they drove back from everywhere in the country to go training and, and then it was just pulled on them and I know they were very very disappointed so they're all really really happy now to be back out on the pitch Well we look forward to the progress and wish you well for the remainder of the season and hopefully the results will go our way next weekend John and we can look forward to a quarter final spot Alright thanks very much Martin yeah, no, Hopefully everything will go really well now last week and we'll have a quarter final in two or three weeks time and we'll be looking forward to it well, Best of luck with it Thanks Martin and that's it for Scoreline Extra today. I've been Shane O'Keefe. You can go listen to all our other podcasts here on KCLR. We have t- we have loads. We have absolutely loads. We have a GEA one called The Clash Act. We have a rugby one called The Knock On. If you're into Football Manager, we have the Football Manager Football Show, where myself and Ken Maguire try and battle our way up from the Argentinian League all the way to the English Championship, and now we're in the Premier League. Go check it out. Why not? What do you got to lose? But that's my lot tonight. I've been Shane O'Keefe. Stay safe. Stay sane. Until next time.